0: Take your Bibles, it's pretty simple. Uh, Revelation chapter 22. We're going to start in verse 1 and go all the way to the end. In the middle of it, we're going to pause and we're going to answer questions about heaven. And I came out with, I think I have probably about six questions that I wrote down that are the typical things. Uh, We're going to go through it and read the verses that are associated with that and then uh, jump right into it. So, uh, to be honest, uh, this is probably one of those lessons that it would not have hurt to split up more. Uh, so just because of the content, but I also knew with the, the long separation of everything we have going on next week uh, and, and everything that there would have been a long time since we would be able to reboot and come back to it. So I thought, man, it would be best to finish it up tonight. So we'll just buckle in and go for it. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll start. God, we thank you so much for the word of God and Lord, how powerful it is. Lord, how you are giving us, Lord, a glimpse into the future and understanding of What is to come? But Lord, you explain in this chapter why it's so vitally important. Lord, give us understanding as we read this. And Lord, I allow the Spirit of God to speak to our hearts and minds. Lord, we know some of these things are a mystery. And some of these things we won't fully understand. But Lord, give us a glimpse of it as we're here on earth, Lord, to look forward to the promises that you've laid out for us in your word and what we have to look forward to in eternity. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So last week, we went into the, 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 some attributes and some of the things that the Bible talks about, the lake of fire, and then we talked about how God brings down the new Jerusalem. He makes a new heaven and a new earth. And we started talking about how our idea of going up into the clouds and the city and the clouds and things like that was kind of not exactly what we see in cartoons and images today is not exactly what we actually read in the Bible. And don't get me wrong, it's not that it's not majestic, it's not heavenly in things, but the Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth, talks about what He creates here on earth. Uh, but we, we kind of stopped as we were getting to all the description of what they were describing of the, uh, the gates of pearls and, and the foundation and the streets of gold and all, this, this, uh, all the different stones that this, we see and are described, the, the beauty of heaven— we said, there's no way that I could ever see anything on this earth. Your ear could ever hear anything on this earth that would make us understand. Because heaven can't be compared to anything. So there's nothing here that we're going to be able to go, oh, it's kind of like this. That will never happen. But we do get into the next part of this. And we start drawing this bigger picture of what heaven is like. So Revelation 22, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal. Proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now this is symbolic again. Remember last week we, we studied and we don't know if it's symbolic or physical. There's no more sea. And I saw that there was no more sea. We thought maybe because of the fact it's that the world is reformatted for this, this river of water, this, this supply, this provision that God gives. And the Bible often gives description about rivers of water, about it being a thing of beauty, a beauty of refreshment, a place of satisfaction. In Psalms 1, it says, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And what happens? And it bringeth forth fruit in its season. And the leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. It's a constant supply. It's never lacking. It brings stability. It brings strength. Everything that you need. Do you notice how it says that it's clear as crystal? Why is that? Well, you got to think, there's nothing to pollute it. We don't know that concept here on earth. You know, you go to any stream or any kind of lake, it's going to be polluted. It's going to have all the algae and all that stuff that comes from the curse that we have. It's, it's going to have uh, things that people have uh, thrown in trash and things like that. But it's called water of life. Water of life. And it proceeds. Out of the throne of God, the things that God gives, gives life. This water of life that he is. And some of it is just sim- symbolic. It's it, Literally, it's, God is the center of it. The same way in the Old Testament, the tabernacle was the center of it. And everything that they did was wrapped around that. Everything of this wraps around this city. And so it comes out of the throne of God and out of the Lamb. And, and we, we've talked about this. And even afterwards, the question was asked, will this ever change? Is there a chance that there could be another fall of man and have to redo this redemption story? But notice how often the Bible talks about everything that God shall be the center of it. And he said there will be no more curse, no more this, no more that. And the fact that God finalizes this. And if we had to have it in the back of their mind of the reboot, it would no longer be heaven. Let, let me explain. Let's keep going through this visual that he says. And he kind of explains this as we go. In the midst of the street of it, And on either side of the river, there was a tree of life. Now, there's a lot of interpretations of what this looks like because, honestly, the geography of this doesn't add up. It says, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life. So people have tried to demonstrate what this could be. It could be numerous numbers of trees on both sides. It could be this massive tree that links both sides. Uh, the, The idea of the street could just be demonstrating that this river of water came out of the river looking like a street. And if you were to Google this right here and try to find an image of it, you're going to find all sorts of imagery that kind of tries to describe this. Uh, But we do know this, that in the middle of this, however it is on both sides, there was the tree of life. Now I'm going to ask you guys, where have we heard that before? The tree of life. The Garden of Eden, if you go back to the beginning. And remember how we talked about even Pastor Messer when he was here teaching. He was talking a lot about how this is kind of going back to the beginning. And I'm going to reference that a lot through this lesson of what is it? A new heaven and a new earth. Well, what did they start off with? They they started off with a heaven and earth that had no curse. What was that? That was the original intent that God had for him to be with them, to dwell with them. And all the beauty that they beheld and all the things that they had in the Garden of Eden. And so we see this. It takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden. What is the principle that we preach and teach in the Word of God? And that's the fact that, the fact that God restores. Even baptism. I take our lives as an example. We had 14 people baptized on this past Sunday. It was an awesome service. But what is it? Buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. The fact that God takes things and he makes them new. He restores what is broken. He restores what Satan tries to destroy. Well, in the garden, Satan attempted to destroy what God did. And God made a promise in Genesis 3.15, I will crush his head. God would rise above these things. God would restore what was lost. So we see this in verse 2. And it says, Which bear twelve manner of fruits, and the yielding her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for healing of the nation. Now this brings three questions to the mind. I scratch my head and go, okay, whoa. All right. Number one, here's my first. One. It's, it's 12 different fruits that are there. <clears throat> do we need to eat in heaven? Now, that's a question that I know all of you. If there's probably one main question that everybody's asking right now is, do we get to eat in heaven? You, know, I mean, you won't admit it, but I'm telling you, we love to eat. If we get together with people to fellowship whatever. We eat. It's a big part of our lives. So this says there is food to have in heaven. We're going to revisit this question when we get into the question here in a minute. There's 12 different fruits. The variety of it just, it just baffles our mind. What is that like? And where do we get this description again? Think about it in the Garden of Eden before there was a curse. So you take the curse out of it and we're about to read the verse and there shall be no more curse. What did you have in the garden before the curse? You had the same thing. Walking with God, the beauty of His creation, fellowship with one another. Uh, we had all of those things, but we didn't have the curse. But they had trees bearing fruit for our pleasure, for fellowship, all these different things. But it also explains time. There is no time in heaven for all of eternity, but it says every month. So it's not a measurement of time as for as fact that there's a big clock up there, but it is talking about there being a time where that, that literally it, it changes up in there with the fruit that is there, which is fascinating of itself. But then it says the leaves that are healing of the nation. And that's the thing that you scratch your head and go, wait a minute, healing of the nations. Why do we have to be healed? There's a lot of different words that we can take, and then we have to go back to the Greek and say, what was that? Because we could interpret it in different ways. Uh, One of them that I was talking about is health, and the fact, just like in Psalm 1 that we were just reading, that if you're planted by the rivers of water, it brings forth health. God is what makes things sustainable. That's what God brings. God gives life. God keeps life through this. So it's not the healing of the nations like we have of putting ointment on a sore, This is talking about the fact that he constantly out of the throne of God is pumping into our world that which makes us healthy, that which sustains things. Again, Garden of Eden. I'm going to repeat this. This time I'm going to read it. Okay, let me give you a flashback to the Garden of Eden. It says in chapter 2, verse 9 in Genesis, And out of the ground made the Lord to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Now let me remind you, this was pre-curse. But God still provided this because it was part of the thing that he said, this is good. I want you to have this. I want you to enjoy this. So this was precursed. It was good for food and the tree of life also in the midst of the garden. That's the same thing that we read in this description at the end. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And listen to this. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden and from thence it parted and became into four heads. So we have this same description of this place, of the Eden, or the source of God, the rivers coming out of it, the tree bearing fruit, and it was good for food. So it is. Flashback to understand what we're reading now, as a lot of it's tied into that. So did you notice what is not in heaven? There's a tree of life, the river of water, bearing fruit, but there is no tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That is what brought the sin. That's what brought the curse. That was brought the choice. And you say, why is it? Because man at this point has already made his choice. We've already accepted Jesus Christ. And man, this passage, chapter twenty-two, reiterates this all the way through, verse three, and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. No more curse. Rewind Genesis, no more curse. There's no more sin, no more sacrifice, no more thorns, no more thistles, no more all of these things, no more death, no more dying. All of those things are gone. But it's, it's fascinating of the fact that it also ties in that we will serve him. If you, if you wonder, what are we going to do in heaven? You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of times you have the pictures and somebody's going to play a harp, and somebody's going to sing. And and I mean, that's really the picture. It's just like standing around praising God, which, don't get me wrong, we're going to be praising God. We we see that description in Revelation. Go back to the beginning of the uh, book. It's it's in there. But we're going to answer that in just a few minutes as we go into that. Because I I want to pause and just give you like six answers of what heaven is like. Verse 4, And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. We don't know what the description is of what that looks like for people to have their names in his foreheads other than the fact that it is a form of ownership for the fact that we will be his people and we'll be able to be face to face with God. This is what brings out this avenue of heaven. The idea that uh, our, our name uh, shall be in their foreheads literally is talking about the ownership. I know this is a really... Cheesy way to illustrate this, but if you've seen Toy Story and the you know Bullseye puts up his feet and it says Andy on the bottom of it, is that a really bad way to illustrate this? And I just think of the fact that we we are we we belong to him. I I I get to be there because I am a child of God. I I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ, and we look at it and literally our our name we're stamped with the the sign the symbol that we are the children of God. This is in verse 5, and there shall be no more night, neither, and they need no candle, neither light for the sun, for the Lord has given them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Now there's a popular song. We did one of these popular songs last week. Uh, David Phelps sings a song called No More Night. Uh, and you think about what the night is. All through the Bible, the night demonstrated, you know, a, 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 of darkness or not being able to find our way, and the Bible is the light. You're about to see a description that we have a name of Jesus that is so cool and powerful. And we'll, we'll read that here in a minute. But the idea that he's saying that there's not going to be any more darkness. There's not going to be any shadows. There's not going to be any of these things that we know. And the Bible is filled with the description of that, uh, of darkness. And the Bible talks about when the presence of God's there, all darkness has to flee. We sing that song in, in Revel, uh, um, the, the song, The Great I Am, when we sing that. All darkness has to flee. Do you know why? Because he's the light of the world. There is no darkness. Do you guys see what we're getting as a theme through this? And you say, is there a chance? Is there a chance of the curse coming back? Is there a chance of tempting man and falling again? You really, God's taking everything out. He says, there's no more dark. There's no more curse. There's no more tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything that's supplied is coming straight from God, out of the Lamb of God, all of these things. So we're going to pause And answer some questions about heaven. Number one, what will we be like in heaven? Now, Revelation doesn't go into all these things. It hints at some of these things, but it doesn't go into this. Number one, we're going to have a changed body. But we're going to have a body. And and let me explain this. And and, and here's some verses that tie right into this. And this is kind of rolls in from an expository study into a doctrinal study, okay? Okay. Says in First 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty two in the moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. So without a doubt it's not the same. We we know that because the Bible is giving us that this the word changed literally means transformed or better this it's also the same word for transfigured. Now, right now, in your mind, how many of you have something in the Bible that comes with the word transfigured? Raise your hand or comment. On the Mount of Transfiguration. That is where Jesus was up there, and and the two men of the Old Testament come there, and they were different. And then we call the Mountain of Transfiguration. And Jesus was in the form or the body of himself, but they were transformed. It was different. It says this, so let me read it. In Luke 9, 29. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistening, glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake up his decease that he should be accomplished at Jerusalem. You talk about imagery. You talk about this. We literally have two people that are in their glorified body or in their glory is what he's describing here. And it has the word image. Their countenance came as the two image of the guys from the Old Testament. So do they have resemblance? Yes. Or the same? No. And the Bible says that. Their countenance or their appearance or their surface or their presence or person, which is the outwardness, was different. After Jesus was resurrected, we also see him in his transfigured or changed body. Let me read that passage. Luke 24, verse 36. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. They did not fully recognize Jesus of what he was. Mary was talking to Jesus in the garden. And Mary did not know that it was Jesus until Jesus spoke and said, Mary had his eye. And then she turned and said, Rabbi. Now, why was that? She supposed at the beginning that was the gardener. He was changed. Now, if you want me to describe this, I can't. All we can do is like read this in the Bible to know that the Bible puts all these pieces together. So they didn't recognize them. They had supposed that they had seen a spirit. And when they said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do your thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet. What are we seeing? The phys- physical attributes of Jesus Christ. Look at my hands, look at my feet. What he's describing there. And see, for the Spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. When they had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they believed not for joy, for they believed not for joy, and wondered. He said unto them, have ye here any meat? Now we get into the physical body aspect of it again. It's still a spiritual body. It's a glorified body. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of honeycomb, and he took it and didn't eat before them. So you see this. How did Jesus end up in this room to begin with? If you know the story, when they were in the upper room, and this is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he appeared unto them. So that's not like, okay, I I hope it's nothing like we see here on earth. Okay, if it is, you just, that's a whole other story for another time. So, but it's the idea that this was not normal. He was in a different type of body. Now let me tie it into us it says in 1 John 3, 2, Behold, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not appear what we shall be. But we know that when we, he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So we start bringing this together. Okay, that's how he was. He was in his glorified body. We see the Mount of Transfiguration with Elias and, uh, and also Moses at that point. And then we, we shall be like he is going back to the beginning it says, we shall be like he is. Think about Adam and Eve. And I know we are using that reference a lot. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Think, think about what that is, And we say, man, what was that like? Well, here he is forming man out of the dust of the ground. And God created man in his own image and the image of God created him. Male and female created he them. Now, is there a spiritual aspect of it? Yes. We were we were created to love God, we were created to be loved, we were created to have joy and peace. We were we were created with all these attributes. The rest of creation that God created did not have that. That that was the things that God put into us. We love Him because He first loved us. We cannot say that about a cow. And I'm not just saying that to be funny. We're not the same as them. We We were created with a soul. We were created with a spirit. We were created with the inner man. We were created in the likeness of God. But also we know, he said, let us form man after our likeness. So we have a rough image of what it's going to be like when we're reading all of these things to get an idea. So will we eat in heaven? Let's just answer that, okay? Because I know inquiring minds want to know, so let's answer it. The short answer is absolutely, we're going to eat in heaven. The other side of it is we don't have to eat in heaven. It's not a matter of, I'm going to die if I don't eat. I don't, and I don't think we'll ever say the words, I'm starving to death. Actually, my kids will probably still say that, but uh, it won't be true. Uh, going back and finishing that passage that we did a minute ago uh, with Jesus in the upper room. And when he had thus spoken, he showed his hands and his feet while they believed not for joy, wondered and said, have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of honeycomb, and he ate it. I mean, you think about that. He appeared into the room. And then, and then he says, I'm famished. Let's eat, guys. We, we, we learn from a lot of the study in the Bible that it describes things like this in the heaven sense too. And he said unto me in Revelation 19:9, 9, blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, these are true sayings of God. In heaven we will eat, but we will not have to eat. So there's no sin in heaven so there can't be calories in heaven either, okay? And, and trust me, guys, that is a good thing, especially, is anybody else already feeling the extra bulge for the Christmas season? I know why they call it, you know, have a jolly good time. I, I'm, I'm figuring that out. It's all the fudge and the buckeyes and the cookies and all that other stuff. So we battle with that here. There will be no sin and gluttony in heaven, so I have good news. We can eat of that tree that has all the different bearing fruits, and you won't have to count calories. You don't have to count steps and all of that. You can run the streets of gold and not have to ask one person, how many steps did you get in today? So that's another reason why it's heaven. So so what is the reason for it then? Because here, if we don't eat, you will die. But in there, it's always been, even from the idea, the description of Adam and Eve, and God went walking with them in the cool of the day, and he said he made food that was good to eat. Literally, the description of there. Think about when they would go into the tabernacle, and they had the table of showbread, and they would sit down and eat in the presence of God. Think about Revelation at the beginning of it. And he says, if any man will open the door, I will come into him and sup with him, and he with me. Food at the beginning of the intent of it was created for fellowship. It was created for pleasure. And, and I know we were like, we, we joke about Thanksgiving and overeating buffets and all, all that other stuff. But when we get together, it's a natural thing. Let's go to eat. Let's have a refreshment. Let's go out for ice cream. It was, it was something sitting to sit down in the middle of us to bring us together in a common bond of unity. So I, I believe that when it comes to this, that heaven's not a matter of that we needed. It. it was a matter of bringing it back to the original intent, a fellowship with one another and fellowship with God. It's, it's, it's awesome when you think about the fact that God created something for us to enjoy together with this. And uh, even at the Last Supper, think about this. Uh, in Luke twenty two fifteen, 15, and he said unto them with desire, I have desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. It was the last thing he wanted to do. Sit down and have the Passover with them. To sit down and enjoy the presence of having it with them. If you notice, and I didn't put it in here, some of the later things that it says, um, it goes in to describe um, the fact that he said, I will no longer drink of the vine until we're up in heaven. So even then, it describes that that, that vision of heaven or that fellowship that we have in heaven. And then going back to verse 2 again in Revelation 22, he talked about that tree that bears the fruit. So all of these different things, we have this description of food in heaven for fellowship, for the enjoyment of it, for uh, bringing us together, but not for necessity. Uh, Will we know each other in heaven? Here's another question. Will we know each other in heaven? Uh, I'm not going to go through every passage of this, but let me give you the principle. The Bible constantly references us knowing people in heaven. And let me give you an idea. Even David, when he lost his son, and he said, he cannot come to me, but I can go to him understanding that even in that reference, he was saying, I, I, can, I can go to and re, have that reunion with my son in heaven. And we have that a number of times that the Bible references the people that are in heaven. It's not like he reboots our mind and, we're, and we've lost that. Pastor Messer did an incredible job explaining this. And if, if you want to go back to that message that he did on heaven, he was describing that, the fact that if you lost somebody, you can pick up that relationship. If you've been broken, in that aspect, and you're longing to see them. You can look forward to that once again. Even if I can bring in the aspect of it, when you get to heaven, you think about the, uh, the, the, the gates and the, and the foundation and all those things that he talks about, the name of the apostles and the names of the tribes of Israel. We're not going to get there and scratch our head and be like, oh, who is that? No, it's identity. It's names. It's, it's tying those things in together. But with that said, There will be no marriage as we know it in the physical relationships today. Let me give you the verse. For in the resurrection, Matthew 22, verse 30, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angel of God in heaven. Is there a relationship? Yes. Is it the same relationship as we have here? No. No. And I I think because of the fact is there won't be loyalty to any but individual person. There won't need to be. All of our attention and all of our purpose in that aspect of our life goes directly to God. And so that the purpose of that, of, you know, even a husband and wife here on earth is to support each other's needs and to help each other, lift each other up and encouragement. Well, God God is the foundation, the source of all of those things that we come from that. So... Will we have it? I mean, absolutely. It's for the relationship, but will it be the same? It won't be here. All right, just because it's out there, can we walk through walls in heaven? How many of you, if you're being honest, already have thought that in your mind? Be real. Oh, a lot of you guys are lying right now. OK. I, 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 we, we talked about this last week, so I know is there. And the Bible says in Jesus in his glorified body, Luke 24, verse 31, and their eyes were open. And they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. So he ate, and then he was gone. You know, I, I mean, that's the description. Uh, in John 20, verse 19, the same day and evening being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut and the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus, uh, it came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, peace be unto you. How did Jesus get in? Because it emphatically says at the beginning of him, we locked the doors And then it opened up, or Jesus appeared in the middle of them. Uh, So we have all these different aspects of the the proof that it's different. Now, obviously, we have to walk around and there'd be no no reason for streets of gold. So, I mean, I, I know there's different things that we can't fully understand, but we do have these things that we can read in the Bible. What will we do in heaven? And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb of God shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. We're not exactly sure what this means, but I can take you back to Genesis again. In the beginning of Genesis, before there was a curse, before there was a temptation and the fall of man, God gave man responsibility. And the responsibility was to please God. God gave him the creation to rule over, the garden to rule over, and in the, in, 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 it clearly says that in there, he gave them the responsibility to name the animals. Now, I know that we shall rule and reign with Jesus Christ. I know we tied that into a lot of the aspects of the millennial reign. But also in that we shall be kings and priests, the children of God. So what that looks like, I don't know. But I do know this, that it's going to be more. It's going to be more than just playing harps and, and singing to God. Although that we definitely read that in there. Will we have clothes in heaven? Yes. It says in Revelation nineteen eight. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Verse 14, and the armies which were in heaven followed him in white horses and clothed in fine linen, white and clean. This represents the fact that we are clean and washed and pure before God. And so in the, in the, New Te- or in the Old Testament, we read in the Garden of Eden, that's where people have this. So it's the same thing and they were naked in the garden, but it's different in the New Testament. So now it brings us to the close of the book. And I'm going to be honest. Some of the things that we're about to read will be the hardest and the deepest stuff that we studied so far. And and really, when I prayed at the beginning, God give us understanding because some of these things are just that heavy. Um, It says in verse 6, and then we're just going to go through this and finish up this, this chapter. And he said unto me, these are faithful and true. The Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servant the things which must shortly be done. So we finish the description of heaven, and he's kind of wrapping up the, the book of Revelation, but he's also wrapping up the Bible as a whole. This is overwhelming to think about. It's, it's hard to imagine. You think about everything that he has said. Think about the judgments. Think about the great white throne Judgment. Think about the the bowl judgments and hell being opened up and and all these things that we read through the book of Revelation and we're sitting there going, I don't know. I I don't know if I could fully believe that. That just sounds too crazy, too sci-fi, too over the top. But he said these words after he gets done with all these things and he said unto me, he said unto John, these sayings are faithful, which literally means they will come to pass and they're true. Because of what I said just a second ago, this passage should make us live different. This is not some sort of fear tactic, this isn't. This is a reality that God wanted us to understand what is to come to pass." It says in the second part, "And the Lord of the holy prophets sent His angel to show unto His servants the things which must shortly come to pass, or shortly be done. Why? God, he literally says, I brought John into this. I explained this to John so that John could come to the church and write these things so Pastor Tony can sit on Facebook Live, can sit on all these social media platforms, to sit in this room and preach the message that this is from God, it's going to happen, and you need to know. And by the way, God wants us to know this. And a lot of people like steer away from Revelation because it's the fact that it is a lot of things that go over our head and a lot of things that scare us to death and make us think. But you realize that God said the reason why I brought John Revelator is because I want the church to know these things. There is no excuse for us to go out of here and walk through life apathetically, not understanding the judgment to come or what's going to happen to those that we love or those that are neighbors of us and act apathetically. When God said, I clearly warned you, it would be like this. And wait, wait till you read some of this, that, that how deep it gets with what God's emphatically saying through this. If, 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 we had, if we had the tornado sirens going off, which every Wednesday at noon we have that, and, 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 and if, let's say it was Thursday at 1, okay, we knew that it was not just a test, and we had that happening around us, what would we do? He'd say, I, I would grab my kids, we'd go to a safe place, I would do all these. I'm hearing the sirens and all these things, the warning, and our cell phones go off with the emergency broadcast, all this kind of thing. Why why do we have that? Warning. It's to warn us. To be able to shake you up and to be able to say something's about to happen, you better do something because of that. And the whole aspect of this For the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly be done. Don't say you didn't know. Don't tell me you had no idea. Don't react passively. When God said, I gave you all of these things, verse 7 behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. The word quickly is also for the same word suddenly. You say this was written 2,000 years ago. Wow, it's not very quick. But that's not, the, that's not the phrasing of this. The phrasing that he was saying is quickly. Literally saying suddenly. You're going to say, I've got time and this is no big deal. And God said, when I do come, I'm going to come as a thief in the night. I'm going to come in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, is what he was saying. His responses is, "Behold, I come quickly." So blessed, obey these things. Happy are you if you keep the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Keep to guard, to protect, to obey, to live out. Man, I, I, what if we were a church? That literally lived, is we sit there and say, oh my goodness, I saw another thing in the news, and I'm not even going to say it because I don't want to get people's mind going, but another thing that was just announced today in the news, is just one, of the, one more thing that sends chills down our spine going, wow, I can't believe this. In, in reality, we should never be shocked or thrown off going, wow, I can't believe it. And God says, I told you so. I told you so should not live as children of the darkness. You should not walk in the darkness as the world does where they stumble and not know where they're going. Our responsibility is to know these things and to live in light of eternity. John is overwhelmed with this. John John is blown away in his mind and, and he responds to this glimpse of this heavenly home. In verse 8, and I, John, saw these things, and I heard them. And when I heard them, I fell down to worship him before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. Wrong move. He did the wrong thing. John messed up. John was so overwhelmed with this that he began to put the attention on the wrong thing. Because we, we, we've got to be very careful that we never put the attention on the wrong thing. It was never about the messenger. It was never about the program. It was was never about the routines. It was never about the delivery of it. We can get so wrapped up in all of these things about the the fact of the the pulpit that we use or the, the format that we deliver things on and all these other things that we get so worked up in and we get our attention on the wrong thing. He said unto me, See, thou do it not. For I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren, the prophets, and of them which keep saying the sayings of this book, worship God. He literally said, You get up. I am not what you worship, I am not where the attention goes. And and you say, why is that in there? Why did God tell us like, and by the way, when John was doing this, he messed up pretty bad. Why would that even be in the scripture? Because the fact is, it's so easy for us to get our minds and our focus and our our worship or our hearts tuned in to the wrong thing. And God said, by the way, whatever you read, whatever you do, make sure you keep the main thing, the main thing. And that is the glory of God. I I tell you, we've we've got a lot of... um, pastors and preachers and, and things like that, I, I pray to God that i am, I'm never put myself in a position as your pastor or anybody else on this stage that we ever elevate ourselves above being anything more than this, a fellow servant of God. Do you hear that? That's what the angel said, an angel, get up. I'm just like the other prophets. All I do is point to the one that has done everything. And by the way, I don't care what title you have in this church or what position you have. I'm going to tell you who you are. You're a fellow servant of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. There are no big shots. There's only one that deserves the glory and all the glory goes to God. He says, verse 10, and he, sa- and he saith unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecies of this book. The, the idea is of all the things that he did were completed. Literally, the, the Isaiah that we're going to read at Christmas all the time. For unto you is born this day, and, and you'll find them, and his name shall be called Wonderful, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Counsel, the Prince of Peace. All those things. Prophecy, prophecy, prophecy. Fulfilled, fulfilled, fulfilled. And God says when it comes to this, it's, this is still to come. That is why we don't get comfortable with this. Do you guys hear me? We don't get comfortable with this. We, we never get to the point where it's, ah, it's no big deal. No, he said, I promised. I said it's going to happen. Look forward to happen. He said, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. This is coming. Uh, every time that the Bible uses that the time is at hand, it's, it's a sense of urgency. It's, 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 it's a matter of it's time to do something about it. It's time to live accordingly. He said, so, behold, I come quickly. That's what he was saying in verse 12. The time is at hand. All this verbiage is the same. He says in verse 11, he that is unjust. Now listen, when this happens, this is it. He said, I come quickly. He said all these things. But when it happens, you understand that this is, when it's done, it's done. It's over. And he says this, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he that is, uh, is, is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Literally, when this time comes and God says, I come quickly, the time is at hand, the urgency of what he is saying, there is no going back. At that point, you stand before God. If you are undone with your sin, you just stand before God as undone in your sin. There's no going back saying, I'm sorry, I didn't fully understand, or God, I meant to. No, I come quickly, the time is at hand, this has not been fulfilled, now is the time to get your heart right, and by the way, when you stand before God, you stand before him as you are. And it doesn't matter. I've had people that literally said, if I see God coming back, I'm going to cry out to him and just ask him in that moment to forgive me. That's not going to happen. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. You don't wait. You don't procrastinate. That's that lure that I was preaching about Sunday. Satan's going to do anything they can to put something out there to lead you away, to get you away from this. There's no going back. Verse 12, and behold, he says it again. Notice this, I Come quickly! I come quickly. Behold, and I've given you guys this before. We, he says, "Behold, it's a matter of grabbing your attention. Behold, look at something, something is significant, something to pay attention to." I come quickly. I'm going to come suddenly, and my reward is with me to give every man according to his work, which uh, work, work shall be. Behold, he said, in the moment in twinkling eye, and that's where we have. Uh, where he's talking about how God's given us the work to do and he's given us the parable of the talents, which I'm going to be preaching on the first of the year. What are you going to do with what God is giving you? You know why I want to preach that now and getting ready for this new year? Because I do believe we're getting closer and closer when God's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with it? Well, Lord, I went and buried it because I didn't want to lose it. God says, well, then you wasted it because what I gave you was valuable to multiply to do more for the glory of God. That's why God gives it to us. He says in that passage, according to his work shall be. I have my reward. God rewards us according to what we've done, according to the parable of the talents. That's what it's talking about. Stewardship. He said, I am the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I love to preach this. I love the fact that God points out all three of those. Is literally, I'm there and I'm there. I started it, I'll finish it. I'm the, the beginning of the alphabet, the end of the alphabet. I had the first word, I'll have the last. I'm the creator and I'll end it. I created you. And we're going to stand before God to account for what we've done. It, it, it literally saying it over and over again the way that it is. It started end. it started ending. Now we get into his warning. Now guys, listen to this. And I know I say that, but I'm telling you, I think, I think we really need to listen to the warnings of God. Think about this. Think about every story in the Bible, everything that we've ever read, all of these things over and over and over again. You get to the very, the very, the very end of it. You get to the last things and before he says, almost like, hey, before you finish, you need to know this. Before you, before you close the book and set it down, you need to know this. Listen to this. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they might have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter through the gates into the city. He, he said, blessed. He said, let me just say, you've read the gospel. You've read the warnings. You've read of this. He said, now all I can say is, blessed are they that are going to do it. It doesn't matter if you grew up hearing it. It doesn't matter how often you taught it. It's, are you doing it? It's the obligation. I, I know I did, did this with uh, Judas on Sunday. It's, it's a matter of, I, I, I'm not asking how much has hit your head. I'm asking how much has hit your heart. It's, it, blessed are they that do it, that do his commandments, that live it out. That, that, that is, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If that is the way to, blessed are you that do it. Because it, without it, you're not going to enter into the city. You are not going to have the water of life. You are not going to step in the city of God. You're not going to. That they may enter through the gates of the city. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man's going to come to the Father but by me. That was the instructions that he gave us. Blessed are they that obey. For without. Remember last week when we were talking about you no know, whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters or liars shall have their part. He closes with this again. And he said, there's going to be a a dividing, the wheat from the tares. There is a dividing that happens. Every person that stands before God, it doesn't matter. God's going to separate man from those that are lost and those that are saved. There's going to be a great separation one day. Now, we've already read this in context, but this is the wrap-up. This is the closing. If you've ever written a paper for school, whatever the closing, you do a recap. He's doing a recap right now. As by the way, the only way you're getting into heaven is by, by Jesus Christ. And without it. And without are the dogs. And I know for us that sounds so like, oh my goodness, did he just degrade us by saying that the people that are lost... The dogs in the Bible were common. They, they didn't have humane societies and things like that. So dogs are often the scavengers, the one that we seeking, the ones that were always hungry, going after whatever they could pick up, eating this and eating that. And he said the ones that never found the river of water, the never found, that never had their thirst quenched, those that are, and he gives an illustration, like, like the dogs, the ones that are always running around looking for something, but they never can find it in sorcerers and the whoremongers, and the murderers, and the idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. They won't have it. They will be without. Separation is coming. There's a warning. There's separation. And by the way, that's separation between husband and wife that are lost and saved. Separation from kids that are lost and saved. And then he says his authority. Verse 16, I, Jesus, I've sent my angel to testify unto these things in the churches. I, you know why God says I brought it to the church? Because God created the church. And people say, oh, I don't have to go to church. I don't need the church. Let me tell you, Jesus Christ came and died for the church. You want to know something that I'm going to preach my heart out in the new year? Is What we're doing as a body of believers is vitally important, especially in the last days, because the Bible says, and, and I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it." You. you want to know what the hope of America is? It's the hope of the church. You say, that? wait a minute, it's, it's, it's the Bible, it's all these. The, the God brought the Bible, the preaching, the people together to make us stronger. And the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourself together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. That's why it's dangerous when people sit there and say, well, I, I just don't need it. I don't feel like I have that. And right now, le- listen, we have a virus we're separated, people are playing safe, and praise God that we are being smart, and we have these resources to be able to do this. But let me tell you, nothing online will ever replace the coming together of God's people to worship, to fellowship, and encourage, nothing. Amen. Now, if we have to get by because of a virus, praise God for it, but it is not a replacement for what God died for, and that is us coming together, and that's not a dig on anybody that's not here whatsoever, not at all, not at all. But I'm saying Satan will also use this as a comfortable tool to pull us away from what we need. I'm just being honest. And I, Jesus, have set my angel to testify unto you these things in the church. I am the root and the offspring of David. He, he starts pointing out a history. He goes, let me go back. I'm the one that started with Abraham. Abraham. I'm the one that promised David. I'm the one that said out of the seed of David would come Jesus. I'm the one that is the Luke 2 story and the Matthew 1 story. I am the one that was prophesied that there would one day be a Savior, a Messiah born in Bethlehem. The star will lead you to him, and he will rise up and save his people from their sin. He says, I am he. I am the roots, I am the beginning, I am the offspring. And to listen to this, you say, there is no more night, there's no more night, there's no more night. Listen to the description who, why there is no more night. And he said, and I am the bright and the morning star. Literally, you know what the morning star is? It's a fresh start to something. You can have an awful, horrible day. You can have an horrible night, but let me tell you the good thing, the sun's going to rise in the morning. It, there's going to be something new and it's going to be fresh and it's going to overcome and it's going to be better than it ever was before. A new day is coming. And Jesus said, by the way, I am that new day. I am the bright and morning star. I am the one that comes up in the world that is darkness, in the world that is COVID, the world that is cancer, the world that is curse. God said, I will rise up. I will rise up to be the bright morning star. And from then on out, there will never be no more, no more night. No more darkness, no more division, no more loss, no more separation, no more curse. But he gives an invitation. And the spirit and the bride say, come. Think of what Jesus is saying at the end of it. It's not just a matter, there's judgment, you're going to go to hell and all this. No, he says at the end, he says, the spirit of God and the bride. Now, this is so cool. And just help me out with this, guys. One day I'm gonna preach this on a Sunday morning. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I'm going to. You know why? Because it's way too awesome of a passage not to. The the church is the bride of Christ. You know what he's saying at the end of it? He says, the church is going to put this message out. Hell is coming, Jesus is coming. And right now, while I have a platform and breath in my body and a place to do it, I'm going to preach the message, come unto Jesus. Guys, get ready for something, all right? Everybody get ready for something. We are going forward with our Easter drama in 2021. We are going to go all out, and unless they literally come in both the doors. We are going to do this thing. You know why? Because I don't know how much time that we have left. And I know that Satan's going to do everything that he can to try to hinder us, and, and, and he will use any tool that he can. But as long as we are able, and I don't have to, you know, disrespect, or, or I, I'm not trying to do the wrong thing, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying do the wrong thing, but I, I, I truly believe if there's a time to rise up and give the, 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 the gospel story, it's now. I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea is there going to be a vaccine coming or all these other things? I don't know. People are going to be scared to death. I, 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 all I know is this, is I have the gospel and I'm going to get up in front of people because he's asked me to do it and say, come unto Jesus. It's not just me doing it, by the way. It's the spirit and the church. Yes. You sit there and say, well, you don't understand. I've been inviting so-and-so to, years all my, to church all my life and he's never said yes. It's not about you. You know the obedience of getting them, and Jesus does the obedience, and Jesus works in their hearts of the conviction of changing people. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that heareth say, come. For them that hear this, they go out and grab somebody else and bring them in. And let him that athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. All of these things that you sit there and say, man, it's just tough, and all these other problems that we have around, one thing that does not change is the invitation that God is giving. Come. If you are thirsty, if you are empty, if you know something's missing in your life, if you're listening on Facebook Live or any of our channels right now, let me tell you one story right here. Jesus came. He died. He went to the woman at the well. She was thirsty. She went there for water. She was rejected, and Jesus said, I'll give you water that you'll never thirst again. You know what Jesus is offering at the end of Revelation? He said, there's a world that is thirsty, and they're sipping out of mud puddles, any place that they can get satisfaction, but I'm going to give them living water, and they'll never thirst again. Savior says, come. Jesus says, come. Verse 17, and the Spirit and the bride say, come. I'm going to give you something. And with one more, another warning. This is the strongest wording in the Bible. It's so strong in the Bible that I'm going to tell you right now, I cannot fully explain it. I can explain it to a certain degree, but I cannot fully explain it because the verbiage is so raw and in your face, God promised to preserve his word. The Bible says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. One of the greatest tools that Satan's going to try to do is to try to get people to attack the word of God to leave out things. The blood in the Bible that Jesus Christ died on a bloody cross is going to be very offensive. And people will turn around and say, it would be better for you not to talk about that, that is offensive. And by the way, there's other things in our culture today when it comes to uh, gay versus straight and, and marriage and equality and, and, and uh, whether you should be shacked up or live in this and premarital sex and all this stuff. It doesn't matter what the world says around us, right is wrong, right is right, wrong is wrong till Jesus comes. Amen. It doesn't change. The, the last warning that he's going to say is about the word of God don't mess with it. Because it doesn't matter how the world changes around you, you don't mess with truth. You don't mess with truth. Even Satan, as he comes to to ruin things in the garden, he came up to him and said, Yea, have God said? Questioning what God has said. He says, for this, for I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. And if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. You think God's messing around? You want to add something to the gospel? You want to sit there and say that there's another way to heaven? You better beware. You don't mess with the word of God. He says, And if any man shall take away from the words of the prophecy of this book, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in the book. Now you sit there and say, That almost sounds like you can lose your salvation. I'm going to just tell you right now, I know it doesn't mean that because you cannot lose your salvation. Amen. Uh, let me prove it. John 6, 37, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. So I know it doesn't mean that. You guys hear me? I, it, it doesn't mean that because you, you say, how do you know that? Because scripture cannot contradict itself. He can't say here, I will in no wise cast out, and then this way say, you do this, you're getting kicked out. But I do know this. And I can tell you this, anybody that is able to mess with the Word of God and mess with the gospel has a heart condition to begin with. You're you're talking about evil and a a mindset to manipulate the hope of man. There's something darker going on there. And honestly, I can't give a clear explanation of this. I can tell you what it doesn't mean, but I cannot fully explain what that does mean. All I know this is God put such a solid warning on that, that He's emphatically saying do not mess with God's word. I've had people come up to me and say, Well, you, this is right or this is wrong or whatever. And I will quickly say to them, You better show me, because I'm not preaching that without it being in the word of God. A lot of traditions and a lot of things that we hold on, you, you have got to show me where that's in the Bible. The Spirit of God will convict us and lead us. Let's finish up. He which testifies these things saith, Surely I come quickly. And again, he says it. Do you notice how many times he's saying that through this? I'm going to come suddenly. I'm going to come suddenly. I'm going to come suddenly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. It's, it's amazing how he puts that in the, in, of this, of saying, even so, come Lord Jesus. This is our desire. It, 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 and and we, we long for the return of Christ. Can I be honest? I'm tired of saying goodbye to people. I'm, I'm tired of it. I've had to say goodbye to so many good friends. I went to Mrs. Denoff's house a number of times and went to her when she was getting bad. I got to her when she was really bad. I got to her two times on her deathbed. And to sit there and hold her hand and have to look her in the face and know that that was my last conversation that I'm going to have with her, I'm sick of it. I hate it. I remember last year having to stand beside my dad and literally say goodbye to my dad, knowing that this is my last conversation that I'm ever going to have. You say, give me some hope. This is the hope. I'm going to come quickly. Amen. Let it be. Amen. Let it be so. And then he says, even so come, Lord Jesus. That is our heart. God, just take us home. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Until he returns, we live in the grace of God. You you know why I get to sit on this stage and, and share with you guys the word of God? Because of the grace of God. I don't deserve this. You know how we can sit in a country that we get so upset about and be able to walk in here freely with the word of God and put it on our laps and do what we do? Because of the grace of God. You know know how we can have an Easter drama? You know how we can do all these things? The grace of God, it literally means that my grace is sufficient for me. God is saying that it's everything that you need. Until God takes us home, we'll have everything we need to finish the course. God's not going to leave us alone. I I know that the world is crazy and, and bizarre right now. I know that, but I have everything that I need to finish this course. Whatever challenges we face, no matter what comes our way,